Firecast, a podcast from MDM Publishing, brought to you in association with UK Fire Magazine, reporting to the United Kingdom fire protection industry and fire services. Welcome to another Firecast, where we get to discuss some of the key issues with the big players in the fire industry. I'm Paul Hutton, and today we welcome Tony Obadipe, a regional sales manager at Hochiki, and Kevin Dodge, a key account manager at FAFS. They'll be discussing the waking watch scheme and technical alternatives to it in the discussion tony and kevin along with mdm publishing group editor duncan white discuss fire detection services and systems wireless technology some case studies costs and what the future might look like we started with duncan marking a very important anniversary i think it's appropriate to mention this point and reflect and pay our respects following the the five-year anniversary of grenfell just uh, a few days ago. Waking Watch is is not new. It's not something that came about following Grenfell. Waking Watch has been around for, for many years, and it was uh, initially designed and brought in to be used in buildings where there was a short-term fire risk. So, so in the past, back in the day when I was a fire inspecting officer, we very often use Waking Watch, especially in a in a building where there was large numbers of life risks sleeping, i.e. a hotel or a, a boarding house, so that we didn't need to displace people. So Waking Watch was brought in as a very short-term measure to allow buildings to function and to allow people to go about their normal day-to-day business. But it was only ever allowed for a short-term measure. And I think this is the important bit that Roy Wilshire, in his tenure as uh, chair of the National Fire Chiefs Council, said in 2020, so three years after it was brought in following the tragedy at Grenfell, the third edition of the guidance then clearly stated that it was a short-term measure, and we'd already been three years in into it at that point following the tragedy. We're now another two years down the line, and we still find ourselves in exactly the same position where waking watch is being used rather than an alternative being looked at. Let's not forget that the whole issue where we we find ourselves in following Grenfell and the stay-put policy, the stay-put policy was slated for not working, for being too slow in being reneged. The stay-put policy would have worked perfectly as it does day in, day out across the country if every other aspect of that building had complied with the way in which it was designed, i.e. the separation, the compartmentation. So if the building works that had taken place at Grenfell Tower had been completed properly, then the stay-put policy would have worked with no problem. That's really important comment there, Duncan. Let's bring in, Tony, if you could pick up on the fact that, as Duncan has been saying, five years later, many UK buildings are still without an efficient alternative. Yeah. So, yeah, that is a fact. Like you say, it's five years old and we still, just across London itself, we, we still have a big issue. It's actually two issues we've got at the moment. We've got the under 18 meters where there's no there's no guidance and then we've got over the 18 meters now because of that we've got confusion in the market there's people that are stuck in buildings trying to sell them they can't because being under 18 meters they've got cladding 
and they're not sure what cabin's there. So they've got to spend lots of money to do inspections, which is taking forever to do at the moment. One interesting thing, which I, I found, was that across London, there's over 600 buildings that have got a waking watch or have a fire system being installed. And that is not all the buildings. We still got a problem, basically, five years on. The government has encouraged the builders to look at what the work they've done because a lot of people have bought their properties in good faith. So they're stuck. The government has spoken with a lot of the builders and they've pledged over £2 billion to rectify the buildings that have, been, have got this cladding issue. And basically what we're doing at the moment is we're getting calls from customers or installers that are saying, I've got a project, they've got a waking watch, it's costing them a fortune, and they need a solution. This is interesting, Tony, because you know, one of the things I, I find when I, I read about the, the issue is that there are lots of different fire detection devices and systems that are recommended, and they all seem to have their own pros, but importantly, also cons. Yes, this is true, but the... There's a white paper written uh, just after the Grenfell disaster that gave people guidance in regards to this. And basically what they had said is we want the common areas to be covered. Within the door of each of the premises, a heat detector with a, a sounder, right? So we have a common area covered. So that's your escape route. And then if one of the flats was unoccupied or there was an issue in one of the flats, it will give general warning throughout the building, which is one of the biggest issues that we've got, I think, because there's lots of vent systems out there that don't have any sounders. Once the escape route's been compromised with smoke, you've got no way out. And now the stay put policy means nothing then, because if you want to get the people out, you're bringing them into a, into a dangerous scenario, the smoke. The door, normally, that protects the escape route has only got a one-hour rating normally between 30 minutes one hour and once that's been breached we've got a problem so we need to warn people yeah i think that it's worth noting and and picking up on what tony said there in relation to the the common areas and let's not forget that the the, the stay put policy was designed to allow firefighters to get into the building to locate the fire to extinguish the fire because all these properties, the compartmentation is designed to allow a fire to take place in a single compartment without spreading or affecting any other part of the building. So stay put was allowed firefighters to gain easy access, quickly and efficiently put the fire out, and then vent any smoke that may well have dissipated into the common areas. So the system of covering the common areas with a alert all system and then having a individual detection in separate flats is something that is not new it's it's almost at times you're you're listening to people talk and you think to yourself they're talking as though they invented this yesterday we've been dealing with things like this for the last 30 years if not more so let's not try and gloss over the fact that it's worked for 30 years it didn't work at grenfell not because the system didn't work, but because the building wasn't fit for purpose. 
So let me pick up, if I could, gentlemen, and we'll bring Kevin in at this point to join you, Tony, on this and talk about wireless technology and how that's being used in fire safety design. Right, let me take, let me start and then, I'll, and then we can bring Kevin in. So one of the issues we've got is, uh, you know, a multi-dwelling premises has got lots of people living there and access is an issue. Wireless technology provides us with full detection, but one of the benefits of it is the fact that it's very quick to install. You can pre-program it before you get to site. And once you get to site, you can knock on the customer's door. I've got your fire detector we need to put in install. We go in there, two screws straight in, and we test it and off we go. So in effect, we're saving the, the time of someone being in someone's premises to run cables, run a base, run a detector, test it. The beauty of the wireless is you can individually test each one of them onto the system, whereas if you've got a wired system, basically you've got to get the whole system up and running, and then you come back and test it. So tile element, cost, speed, and aesthetics as well. That's the beauty of it all, and the fact that it, it does what it says on the box. Kevin has been in the industry a long while and has come across many of these buildings. I mean, the example we've got now, I mean, Kevin, can I bring you in now? Yeah, I think Tony has much touched on everything that I was going to say. It's a lot to do with people's time that have to wait in flats that had the old cable in that you used to go through. Now it's just a matter of going in, you're in and out of a, a flat or an apartment, I would say within 10 minutes. There's no disruption to people's decoration. They can leave as soon as we're done. It will be tested and commissioned at a later date. It's much of saving people's time. So that's from the residents' point of view, Kevin. What about for building owners? And in fact, I suppose also, as you say, the installers having so much less time spent at each property. The whole thing, you're in and out a lot quicker than you are putting up trunking putting in cables there's less disruption i think people like that a lot better than seeing red cables yeah i think that what kevin and tony have touched on in relation to the uh, the ease of installation and also the lack of disruption for the residents or building owners another important thing to to recognize is that there is no need to drill the fabric and the infrastructure of the building so potentially compromising compartmentation and we see this so many times where fire protection officers and assessors go into buildings to see where installers have put cables through partitions they've attempted to do the best work of banksy art using pink foam rather than getting proper fire stopping contractors in and let's not forget, if each part of the jigsaw, if each contractor did their job properly, then we would not find ourselves in this position. We find ourselves in this position because of a breakdown in the professional services. The credibility is shot, and I think it's a shame that you've got professionals out there that are proud to do the work, such as Kevin, but you then got people coming along that are looking to make a lot of money very quickly and are putting in systems that compromise the, the structure and uh, integrity of a building and uh, are just walking away and leaving the residents and the building owners to, to, to pick up on the consequences. The old adage about buy cheap, buy twice has never been more applicable than on this occasion. 
So let's actually get down to cases. I'm always very keen when I'm talking to experts who have a product and a solution that a listener might think, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? So let's actually get down to a, a quantifiable case of a time when this technology has been used and it's worked. So, Kevin, tell me about something that FAFS have done where what we're talking about here has worked. We've had two sites. One was quite a large site of six buildings. They had a waking watch system there, which they obviously wanted to get rid of because it was costing them an absolute fortune. They were six buildings. We got Tony involved at quite early stages through design work and stuff like that. And that was via the uh, NFCC document that we work alongside. The other project is, is exa exactly the same. It was a, a smaller building. All residents and partly the second one was part commercial too. So there was commercial underneath the residence. That's what we've also got to be aware of, I think, in this day and age. It's, it's just not residence, it's commercial stuff because you've still got buildings out there that are flammable and they are combined. So how did you, you, you said you worked with Tony. How did you come across Hochiki? Why did you choose them? And what devices of theirs did you use? We've used the Echo range and we've also used the Firewave range. Each one was separately installed. In the six blocks, we used the Firewave range in the second commercial property, which also had residents above it, which I said earlier, we used the Echo Range. It's just easy to install. It's, it's great stuff. I've known Tony for a long time. I've used Hachiki for a long time too. It's good stuff. And again, it's very easy to install and it's easy to commission, easy to interface too, to the existing fire alarm system if you have a wired system that is already installed. It's adaptive. Residents feel a lot safer with detection in their flats rather than human error, as in the waking watch. One of, one of the key things that, with radio, I think people fail to, well, I think it's very important, is that the survey's key right, to this. And me and Kevin work together by going to site, doing a survey, to get an understanding of what was required on site. Because one of the things you've got to make sure is when you put it in, it's got to work. So a radio survey is key. And then choice of detection is, is almost written out for you because at the end of the day, a property, they have a right to smoke in their property if they want to, you know, or burn their toast, yeah? Um, so it's also, again, putting the right equipment. So we, the, the white papers I've mentioned before mentioned that, that you should put a heat detector in each residence or each property. And then along the corridors, you should have smoke detectors. And from that, it basically gives you the guidance of what you need to put in. In regards to our echo range, it's very, very unique in the way it works. We've got what we call hubs or translators. And then your detection goes on to there. And then what it does is if we lose one of the translators, it can find another route back to the panel. The next technology allows you to choose more than one translator to give your route back to the control panel. So if a detector is to go off and a translator, the power falls off it or something's wrong with it, it can find another translator and provide a route back to the panel. So it's got a, a fail safe, which is really, really good. Whereas the old technology with cabling, if you 
break the cable, there's no route back. I think what we've got to remember is that this radio systems that we're installing temporary. is a temporary fix. Once the cladding has been removed or anything that is flammable has been treated and done, the detectors can just simply be removed. The client's property can go back to normal instead of running all of these cables through the property and we're back to square one. Nobody knows that we've even been in there. You mentioned earlier about Waking Watch costing a fortune. Then, alternatively, you're running loads of cables. You're having to, to make significant changes to people's properties. What sort of factor of cost saving are we looking at? Waking Watch figures are very expensive. You've got a one-off cost for a wireless system going, which I have been told is quite a fraction of Waking Watch costs. Also, we're relying on a system that is tested, approved, rather than human error with people walking around buildings. Yeah, in terms of, um, of Kevin saying about the cost of Waking Watch, it, it, is, uh, it is one of those things that you, do, you give your best guesstimate when you're, when you're working with people and, and companies that are putting people in there and looking to maximize the, the return on their investment. But I think you can rest assured if we work to figures of... Uh, of minimum wage and then multiplied that by the number of hours and the number of weeks and months, etc. that will soon add up very quickly and overtake the cost of a, a simple installation of a, of a wireless system. But human error is, a, is an interesting one. Going back to when we put a prohibition notice in place on a hotel and they and agreed to lift it on the understanding that they put a short-term waking watch in, a lot of hotel owners probably thought that the fire service would just walk away and leave it, but no, we don't. And one of our inspectors went back during the middle of the night only to find the uh, the waking watch person sat in the chair in the reception, fast asleep, having no idea what was going on. So again, you've got that human error that will come into it and will cost lives compared to a wireless system that will just sit there minding its own business, doing what it's designed to do, keeping everybody safe and being in a position to be taken out with as little disruption as when it went in after it's done its job. Since 2021, there's been 3,500 3, applications for funding for the cladding, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So the reality is the future should be better because the builders will now build buildings without the cladding and they're going to build buildings with the fire stopping that's done correctly, put the right way round. And I think that the future is not round the corner. I think this is going to go on for at least another three to four years, to be honest with you, with what's going on. Again, the big builders have got to rectify their work and there's lots of work out there that we're not aware of, but they are. So time, again, as I say, it's down the road. But once that time is done, going forward, any building that's built today, I have confidence that it will be fit for purpose. The wireless technology is, is definitely the, the future in terms of how it is less disruptive, how it allows the installer to go about their business in a, in a timely manner. It also reduces the risk to the installer, specifically in a lot of these older properties where we've still got that hidden danger of, of asbestos and whatever else is, uh, has been used to construct it. 
there's been a number of occasions and, and we see it a lot in a lot of the, the old pubs, especially a lot of the old London pubs where the, the fire safety legislation says that the, the landlord must be protected from themselves. So where they're living above a property and there's an open staircase behind the bar that takes them straight up to their property with no compartmentation in the past, we've had to prohibit the use of the, of the first floor to the, to the landlord where they're living and sleeping because there's no fire detection, no fire separation. This is one of the areas where wireless technology comes into its own. It allows the fabric of a building, in, in a lot of cases, listed buildings and historic buildings, to, to be protected, but without the disruption and the damage caused by the installation process and running those beautiful red cables everywhere and anywhere that, uh, at the end of the day, just looks a total mess. I also think that radio surveys are a massive benefit before you start doing any works at all. What you've got to bear in mind is a lot of these buildings are concrete and signals can't get through. So we have to make sure that we do the survey properly, get the distances of all the meshwork networking right, because every network, every RCC or any kind of networking device has to talk to one another and if one device goes down it's got to be picked up by another so we get complete networking across that property for people's safety i mean I, my mum's lives in a, a assisted flats as well and she's only just recently had heat sounder beacons installed in her lobby a flat hallway what's that five years down the line what could have happened before that I think there's still there's still 10,000 properties out there with flammable material. I don't think things are moving that quickly. I think things have got to be looked at a lot quicker. And I just don't think it's about fire alarms. I think it's sprinklers. I think you've got look at smoke ventilation systems. It's everything for the whole building that just protects an occupant. I think one of the main issues we've got is we've got too many papers out there where people can hide behind. We've got building regs. We've got BS5869 Part 6. Vent systems are not regulated, for example. So I can go as, as a Joe Bloggs, go to a building, say, I put a vent system in for you and know nothing about it. No, I've got no guidance. I can put it in and say that when this comes up, when the fire is there, the fan will turn on. And that's it. Whereas with part one, it's full guidance from start to finish. No holes in it. And I think somewhere down the road, we need to think about tying it all up as life safety as one issue, building regs as another issue, and so on and so on. And then, you know, there's no crossover. So no one can hide behind the fact, oh, yeah, I've got under building regs. It says that I can put a vent system in and, it's, and with no sounders based on building regs are saying that I just need to make sure I've got um, fire stopping and I've got a fire-rated door. You're exactly right. The NFPA, uh, National Fire Protection Association, use a, a, a life ecosystem that is very much hitting on what you said there. The other thing you've got with, with the guidance is that you've got unscrupulous people that are looking to make uh, a lot of money that are hand cherry picking the bits out of each of the guidance documents that suits themselves when those documents were never designed to be cherry picked they were be they were designed for a specific purpose so 
until until the industry wake up to the fact that that this is serious and what i would say to people working in the industry is if you've taken the time to sit down and watch any of the grenfell inquiry and watch the way in which the inquiry has put people in the spotlight and made them justify and ask why they did what they did then i think that should be a wake up call to say if you do anything but the best if you do anything that you cannot stand by as being what it's meant to be then you're just putting yourself as the next person on the conveyor belt to go in front of an inquiry following a tragedy and one of the one of the crazy things that this is my my personal view is the way in which the Grenfell inquiry has been played out by putting the firefighters in into the inquiry first mm. and making them out to have been the cause of the of the deaths was a was totally wrong i think we're now beginning to see everything that's coming out where what we already knew in our heart of hearts was the firefighters went in there and risked their lives to to save lives that were savable but their job had been totally hampered by the fact that earlier in the building's history people had come in and not done what they said they were going to do we are where we are waking watch is still out there we need to educate people through podcasts such as this to say there is a commercially viable alternative start looking out there at wireless technology talk to to hochiki and the experts in the field to to say give me a quote tell me what i can do and then if you're a building owner and you've not done a cost benefit analysis between the cost of waking watch and the cost of a wireless system then you're not very shrewd business person buildings have got to be looked at in a different way built in a different way maybe sprinkler systems put in but technology wise i think where we are at the moment we're in a, a very good stage with the mesh networking especially on the echo range it's very good and I, at this moment, don't see how we can better that. Wise words there from Kevin Dodge rounding off this firecast with thanks to Tony Obadape of Hochiki and Kevin from FAFS, along with Duncan White, group editor of MDM Publishing. Join us again soon for another firecast. Firecast is produced and presented by Paul Hutton and is an MDM Publishing podcast in association with UK Fire Magazine.